0: Welcome to the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast, where we are leading conversations in innovation and the global entrepreneurial mindset. In this podcast series, we are exploring the topic of women in technology and innovation, where we shine a spotlight on the remarkable women entrepreneurs, business and technology leaders who are changing the world through industry and innovation. My name is Samantha Walravens and I'm an adjunct professor at Lehigh University, as well as a journalist and an author with a passion for supporting and advancing women in their professional and personal lives. For those who don't know, the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center is a collaboration between Lehigh University and the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center in San Francisco. Our mission is to educate, connect, and inspire the next generation of global entrepreneurial leaders. We're going to look at some of the work being done to encourage more girls to study computer science and engineering and STEM fields and to pursue careers in technology and what more we need to do to change the ratio. With us to unpack some of the issues around this topic are three superstar women who I'm so honored to have here today who devoted a good part of their lives and careers to inspiring the next generation of women and girls in tech. We have Ali Diracles, who is the founder and CEO of VidCode, which is an online coding platform for teens and tweens that teaches the fundamentals of object-oriented programming and JavaScript in a very visual, very fun, I must say. I've used it before with one of my daughters in a very design-oriented way. Ali is a 2016 graduate of the well-known Y Combinator program and she has an undergraduate degree from NYU in photography and a master's from the Tisch school at NYU in interactive telecommunications. So, thank you for being here with us today, Allie.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We also have Donna Pawar, who is a partner at Vera Tempo, a product management consulting firm here in the Bay Area. Donna is also managing director for the Silicon Valley chapter of Girls in Tech, a global nonprofit that educates and empowers women in technology and entrepreneurship. Donna holds a seat on the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center's Young Advisory Board and is a mentor for the Global Tech Innovation Challenge. Thank you for being with us here today, Donna. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. And we also have Sona DeLassia, who is a senior at UC Berkeley, where she is studying cognitive science, computer science, and human-centered design. Sona is the founder of Reaching Out with Robotics, which exposes middle school students, many from underserved populations, to robotics engineering. Sona is also a 2017 National Award winner of the NCWIT Aspirations in Computing Award. So thank you, Sona, so much for being here. So I like to start with the good news, and there is a lot to celebrate when it comes to the state of women in technology today. The number of girls taking the AP computer science class has gone up over the past few years. In 2019, high school girls made up 28% of AP computer science exam takers, and that's up from 20% in 2010. And then efforts at top colleges like Stanford, Cal, and Lehigh to increase the number of women in tech in CS and engineering are paying off. So Stanford last year, for example, 31% of computer science majors were women. That's up from 11% in 2010, so a significant increase. At Cal, 22% of CS majors, computer science majors, were women. That's up from 11% in 2010. And at Lehigh, 33% of students are women. So progress is being made, and that's very encouraging. The bad news is, of course, we still have improvements to make. We are not quite there yet. Um, overall, nationwide, just 18% of computer science degrees and 20% of engineering degrees go to women. And those numbers, despite all the efforts, really haven't budged that much over the past couple of years, which which baffles me, and we'll get into that more as we um, discuss this topic. In the workforce, the numbers are still not great. Either 20% of computing jobs and just 11% of engineering positions are held by women. And we all know we've spoken about the uh, dropout rate that 56% of women drop out of their tech, careers in technology Um, at the 10 to 15 year um, point, which is twice the rate of um, men's dropouts, So we have more work to do, and we are doing that. So um, today I wanted to start by asking each of you, maybe we'll start with Allie, about your background and specifically how you became interested in technology. And I know Allie with an arts background, I find it really interesting that you are now pursuing a career as a tech entrepreneur. Um, And then also, why are you passionate about helping the next generation of women jump into this field?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I went to New York City for my undergrad degree. Um, I thought I wanted to be either a designer or a psychologist or a photographer, and I was really excited when I had the opportunity to study photography. ended up working in that field for five to ten years. You know, I was um, after I graduated, I was a lighting assistant, I was a gaffer, I was building sets, I was working for fashion photographers and it was a really competitive field. I would say more competitive than tech, which is hard to say. Um, and it was around the t- right after the Great, the great Recession. Mm-hmm. 2008. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So, you know, I got like, not going to complain, but not the best timing <laughs> to graduate undergrad. And, you know, but it was really cool. I feel really grateful, too, that I was w- able to watch publishing just crumble. Um, and the where the place I was watching it as was as a young studio manager for photographers who had been making four or five x the previous year. Um, so I actually learned a lot about running a small business. At, you know the real ins and outs of you know having a two three million dollar revenue company, which is what most photographers you know in in the fashion industry were making. That wasn't all profit. So I learned a lot, but it got really technical. I started to do cinematography and it was just tech, 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 tech. So much post-production and all that stuff. And so I decided to go back and get my master's and I either wanted to be a professor. I really wanted to have, I was like 25 at this time and I was like, I know I wanna have a flexible career in my 30s. And I know that I'm very ambitious and like to work a lot. So I wanna be able to always be working And so I was like, I either want to be a professor or I'm going to need to learn how to build my own websites, (laughs) because as a photographer, it was just clear that it was getting more technical. So I didn't get into the, like, for an MFA program, I was like, I got to get into a top school to get the top jobs, very competitive. I actually didn't get into my top MFA program, so my backup program was this design and technology program at NYU that's much like the MIT Media Lab, it's called the NYU Interactive Telecommunications Program. And I'm just so happy that that I didn't get in my top MFA schools because I kind of fell backwards into technology. I really found even that program at the MoMA. I was just like checking out art galleries and I saw, shout out to human-computer interaction, but I saw this whole art exhibit called Talk To Me and it was all about human-computer interaction. So anyways, I found tech and You know, just continued to kind of the inspiration for VidCode and my work in in this space was my second year's learning programming myself. I was just like bummed that no one told me as like an ambitious art student that this could be something that I would enjoy. I found it very creative, very collaborative. I just loved building kinetic sculptures and using like Kinect and different sensors to build I was just building a lot of interactive installations. And so I was just like pretty die hard. You know, this was back in uh, 2013. So I was just like, I really wanna make something in between Scratch and Code Academy that like really speaks to like little Allie, which would be teenage girls. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah,
2: that's what Big Code is. <laughs> so
0: Great, thank you. Donna, will you share your experience and why you're so passionate about helping women and girls in tech?
2: yeah so my story is a very typical proverbial silicon valley story sorry not as fun the journey Um, so i call myself jokingly the pdd or puff daddy of um, tech Um, the reason being every company that i worked at from the very beginning um, has either been acquired or went public uh, and hence had to change their name Um, so if you look at my resume or my linkedin profile it always says Worked at Kivera, formerly known as, or worked at, you know, Be Vocal, formerly known as. It's like Diddy Puff Daddy, right? Formerly <laughs> known as, now just Diddy or P. I don't know what he is. Um, so really been insanely lucky to have been part of um, companies that, you know, went on to really make a difference, um, both in the community as well as economically. Um, and so today. I feel like it's my job to, to give back um, and really what got me into tech, uh, into, into mentoring women in tech was very early on in my career, um, I was at, I was, I was uh, head of product management for a product um, in maps uh, technology and uh, we were at a conference in Cannes called 3GSM, now it's moved to Barcelona and I'll never forget that day, I was at the booth and somebody came up to me and said, uh, I want to talk to the product manager who runs this this product. And I'm like, that would be me. And he kept saying, no, 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 you don't understand. I need to talk to the owner of the product. I have some really important questions to ask of the product. And I kept saying, that would be me. And he kept saying, no, you don't understand. I don't need to talk to the booth babe. Get me the real guy. Oh, dear. And that was a huge eye-opener for me. I'm like, so, and, and then I did look around. Uh, there were booth babes. There were hired models or boot babes all around me, and there were not that many women um, representing their company at those boots. And again, this was a really long time ago. So um, that's when I had my aha moment, and Girls in Tech was an organization that was just being formed, and I'm like, you know what? I need to join something that can change the way women are perceived in the tech space. Um, that was my first sort of aha moment. The second one was uh, my first company that I talked about, Kivera both my husband and I worked at the same company and he was head of, uh, he was engineering manager for Platform, the back end, and I was the engineering manager for the front end. I, technically, we both had the exact same titles and roles. Um, and he kept getting higher salaries and he kept getting bonuses that I never got. Uh, and the only reason I knew it, because I was married to him, otherwise I wouldn't even know. Uh, and that's when I was like, what is going on? I mean. Am I not performing, you know, well enough? Am I not doing uh, well in my job? But my performance reviews were all perfect A's. I got, like, literally 10 on 10 in my 360s. I really did very well everywhere. But, yet my husband was getting paid way more than me for the same job. And that's, again, uh, another reason why I decided I have to change this. Um, so in terms of what I do today... Uh, I'm an angel investor. I've been investing in uh, a lot of startups. Um, some have done really well. Our recent one just got acquired by Intuit, which was amazing. Some haven't done as well. They imploded, um, which which wasn't fun, but lots of learnings there. Um, and I also run a company called Vera Tempo, which uh, does ideation to launch uh, for a product. And we're really, really giving uh, women a, a lot more Um, importance, really, in in this new company. So as an angel investor, I haven't been very good. I have not been investing in, I've not been seeking out women investors uh, in the past, and we can go into the reasons why. Um, But, you know, with Vera Tempo, we really have a 30% allocation where we give women-led companies um, a a huge, huge, huge discount or even do pro bono work for them. So that's me.
0: Thank you so much. Sona, would you share your story?
3: Um, so I was kind of introduced to computer science uh, through my middle school robotics club, um, and I joined, uh, I think, in seventh grade, and that was, like, my first introduction to programming in general, um, and I just, like, found that, like, see, like coding and then seeing my robot move just kind of, like, was so incredible to me, and, like, that's just kind of how, like, I fell in love with it, um, and so then continuing on from there, when I got to high school, um, I started realizing that not the like a lot of the other middle schools in my area didn't have the same sort of um, robotics club opportunities in middle school. Um, and that's kind of how I got introduced to CS in general. And I was doing like internships in high school. I was doing um, research um, at the lab that I currently work at at UC Berkeley, um, doing machine learning and deep learning research. Um, and I kind of realized that a lot of other students um, in my same grade didn't have the same opportunity to be introduced at some, such a young age. So with my sister, I founded Reaching Out with Robotics. Um, And we were an organization or we're still around, but um, she's running it now. Um, But it's an organization that teaches middle school and elementary schoolers robotics um, through after school clubs at their schools or community programs at libraries. And we've started kind of expanding by hosting like work, like specific workshops just for girls, specific workshops just for kids with disabilities. Um, So just trying to get people to get kids like exposed to this field at a young age. Yeah. And from then I've worked as a software engineering intern um, at Disney. Um, I'm currently, my work is more focused in human like computer interaction. Um, So I'll be at Facebook this summer doing design work um,
0: and I'll be starting my master's in design next fall. Oh, great. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, So Sona and Allie and Donna studies show that girls start losing interest in STEM in middle school. And I actually think it's before that, but the studies that studies I've read show really middle schools when their interest starts to to wane. Is this why you decided to focus on middle school girls in your programs or middle school children in your programs? Can you talk a little bit about that? How you capture their attention? I mean, I can. Yeah. I mean, I think like when I started, I think um,
3: middle school was just a really great like it was a great starting point because going to high school then like I chose my classes based on that, um, and I think it kind of impacted like what I was looking forward to do in college. Um, so I think like it's a really great age just to like expose kids. um, Just because from there, there's a lot of opportunities to like, you know, take different classes. And like, I think if you get introduced to it a lot in college, it's very hard to sort of jump into it. At least what I've seen in Berkeley, um, at least for Berkeley, like there's a really high GPA like, to get into the major, and so, because it's just so competitive, there's just not enough resources to accommodate all the students who want to pursue a computer science major, Um, so they have sort of, like, a capped uh, GPA, and so it's really hard for people who just get in, like, who start getting introduced to CS freshman year um, to do well enough in the classes, just because there's so many kids who've been coding since, for such a long time, that, like, you just It's like a really you have to catch up a lot, and it's really hard to do. Um, So I think like exposing people earlier and then getting them interested is like really important, and I think middle school is like the perfect time for that.
1: Yeah, that's I think a beautiful description, which I would echo. And I, I think for me, it was more in like retrospect, like how did I miss the boat? But also just yeah, I knew the stats when we started VidCode in terms of the middle school to high school transition, and yeah, similarly, just having gone through a grad program where. My grad program was artists and engineers being brought together to learn creativity and programming. And it was so empowering to be able to, you know, teach my engineering friends about, you know, about conceptual art or doing that type of thing and vice versa. And I was felt so grateful to have that opportunity. And I think I just, yeah, this really knew that same as how you described, like if you miss the boat in middle school, and then, high, you know, and then, into, yeah, it's just, it's it's kind of all downhill from there. And so when I started Big Code, it was like, to me, it was like, you know, from a social impact side, it was like every year there's 35 million kids that go through K through 12. You know, every year you're missing like 9 million girls if you don't impact them at that time. Or maybe that's like 5 million or something, <laughs> but it's a lot. And so that's, that's definitely something that was kind of the beating drum behind Big Code. Definitely in the early years.
0: I know when I did the VidCode program with my middle school daughter, what the girls really loved was the um, ability to uh, program a Snapchat filter in JavaScript, and seeing that result was so exciting for them, and it was fun. So that that's one thing about VidCode, and also um, Sona about reaching out with robotics is that they're creative ways and very hands-on ways to learn about engineering and technology. Again, is that was that part of your process thinking like I want to, to capture more girls' attention we need to be more creative, more hands-on, more steam focused versus stem?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know I love your story about senior robot move and for me because I had a ph- photography background, that moment for me was uh, being able to um, use C++, to manipulate my video images. And so once I learned, it was actually a class called Emerging Processes in Video Art. And it was all about reprogramming videos, again, using like camera interaction. And it was all in C++. So by the time I graduated, JavaScript was doing some of those things. and I was just like, yes. Um, Though I still think we have a a ways to go with big code in terms of there's so much you can do with camera science, imaging science, computer science, both on and off the computer. And then I also think everyone has a different button, you know, for someone it might be a kinetic sculpture, for someone it might be an image, for some people it might be a game. And so one of my like big passionate areas when I work with schools is you have to offer it all. Like don't just offer a maze game, don't just offer cartoons, don't just offer robotics, offer the art and technology too. That's kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. our mantra now, mm-hmm. yeah. Um.
0: My next question is about how do we get, how do we get more middle schools and high schools to incorporate, I know that's been one of your focuses, Allie, getting more um, schools to incorporate this sort of STEM focus into their curriculum because not all kids are going to do it after school or during lunch, and I know the you know, CS for All program has been marching forward trying to get all high schools to teach computer science, it's, we're still not there yet, but I'd like to hear from all three of you, like what what do we need to do to get it to be Built into the curriculum. Not all high schools offer c- computer science.
2: Any thoughts on that, Donna? Um, so <clears throat> this is definitely firsthand for me. My uh, my kids are in sixth grade, um, and I'm on the PTA. I'm the VP of revenue, so that's what I'm. Uh, you know, I know where the money goes. So really, I think it's a funding issue first. Um, you know, we we definitely look at where should the money go, and there's always like so many demands on the on the finances. The state really. Or the district school district does not have any funds for any new programs, right? In fact, they're cutting down programs, not adding programs. So um, it's left up to up to either like the parent teacher uh, association or PTAs to fund it. So really, um, I think in the Silicon Valley, we're lucky. We've got Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft that can fund a lot of these programs. That's what happens in our school. Um, we have a lot of tech donated. But what happens to middle America, right, where you don't have that? So I think somehow we have to first solve the funding problem. But also more importantly, um, I think just if the students demand it, right, I think that's when it gets bubbled to the top. So if you make it fun, and I think Ali's talked to it quite a bit, and um, Sona referenced, like, seeing her robot come to life. I tried to uh, get a bunch of girls to do robotics um, projects last year, and they were like, oh, no, it's so hard. And then when I showed them, like, they could just do baby steps and do really fun things. They got the robot to fart. Trust me, <laughs> it was not my <laughs> proudest moment. But they were like, yeah, this is cool, we can do more. And then they started demanding that they do more robotics in class. And it, you know, once the students start demanding something, people start taking notice versus us from the outside coming in and saying, you need more robotics, you need more CS. I think we need to generate like, real excitement with the students to bubble it to the, to, to the higher levels.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think if it, beca- like, I agree. Like, I think if it becomes something that's, like, forced into the curriculum, um, that's not always the best way of, like, implementing it. I think it needs to, be like, come from, like, a real source of excitement from the students. Um, and I think at least, like, in the workshops that we, they Reaching Out with Robotics does, um, like, a lot of the times, like, doing just, like, a one-off workshop at a library is a lot less intimidating for a student to sign up for than, like, you know, an after-school club where they're, like, committed to going, like, once a week. Um, I think it's, like, a really great way of just, like, kind of, you know, a low-impact, trying to, like, just, like, try something out and, like, you know, try it for an hour and see if you like it. Um, So I think sometimes, like, different forms of, like, education is good, too, and, like, having it be able to be accessible in
1: different means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would just quickly echo what both of you have shared, um, and it's hard to not, I have so many opinions about both, so I'll just say, yeah, I mean, from a funding perspective, I just get excited because I think districts are really trying, even though the funding's not there, they've got the incentive from the laws, they're gunning for it, and so, um, you know, it's just great that, you know, things are being implemented, and year by year, they're looking at the grades they're missing, and they're planning for it, so I'm, I'm very optimistic.
0: Great, so I'm working with, um, The Regeneron Science Talent Search, which used to be called the Intel Science Talent Search. And I've heard from a few of the, um, actually this year, there are 24 out of the 40 finalists are women, high school girls. So I was so excited to hear that news. And they told me that one of the biggest um, pain points they have as high school girls is a lack of role models um and not not really a sense of community around these incredible projects that they're they're building especially other women helping them so how do we how do we go about tackling that issue of like getting more female role models involved in girls lives for you know female role models in stem in technology
1: from a young age any thoughts on that i mean my quick thoughts would be i know something we discovered with big code is like the best thing is if it's a um, another girl who's like one year, one grade level above. And so with VigCode, se- I think we've seen the mo- like we're in um, the Queens public libraries and every year they have a middle school after, pro- after school program and then those high school students become the mentors for m- those middle school students. Definitely the best model I've seen in terms of ground up creating the role models that we need. And then it's always good to pull in the professional as well to kind of create that full story.
2: Yeah, I can talk from a professional perspective. At work, um, my previous company, they instituted something called a, a sponsorship program or a mentorship program where everybody was encouraged to find a mentor or a sponsor within the company. And this was open to men and women. And it was fascinating that there were two men who took up the offer and there were like 25 women who... Um, you know, wanted to find a mentor and, or a sponsor. And it was a really great program because um, it made them look for, there were a lot of women at my company, not necessarily all at the VP level, um, but they were able to find, the the, the mentees were able to find uh, role models within the company, which they did not know of before. So I think just forcing a program like this said, oh yeah, let me go look at who I want as my mentor, as my sponsor. And earlier, if you were intimidated as a mentee, uh, or a fresh employee, you would be like, I don't want to go talk to that director. But now that this program has been instituted, they're like, oh, yeah, cool, I'm going to go find uh, who inspires me or who could be my mentor in this company. And I think instituting programs like that automatically helps women at least find role models, even though it's not an obvious thing um, at the outset.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've had any like female like uh, mentors, um, unfortunately, um, but I have just like had a lot of like people help me in general. I've reached out to like one of my professors the, in the lab that I work at at Berkeley. Um, he's like pretty much like since high school um, been my mentor, um, getting me into research positions, helping me figure out classes and like, you know, helping me like navigate at Berkeley and like also career stuff. Um, so I think just like people are willing to help. And I think reaching out is like the first step in that. Um, because that's what I found at least.
0: Well, that was my next question. Great segue, who, who have been your role models and mentors throughout
1: your school life, your career life today? I'll bounce off the professor thing because I have to admit um, that uh, I had one photography professor, Deborah Willis, um, in New York City. She's an amazing African-American artist. She's won the MacArthur Genius Prize. She's just a relentless, just decade by decade, reinventing herself. Always working, just, you know, very committed to, um, you know, the different things she works on. And I think we just connected and she always supported me. She always wrote that extra letter. You know, it almost makes me tear up because those people who are the busiest are sometimes the most generous.
2: Um, Yeah, my mentor was um, a CTO at one of my companies. And he was one of the most feared and respected men um, in the company. They were literally people would huddle outside his office saying, Steve's working, you can't go in. And literally, there was this like aura around him. Nobody was allowed to talk to him. And I... Just I don't know what got into me one day. I just walked into his office and I'm like, "We have to do more for women, you know. We have to like institute a program that gets more women into the company." And he was like, "Yeah, have a seat." And next thing I know, he has two daughters who were interested in tech, and he was having this struggle of you know he being a really uh, he was one of the early um, inventors of Android, so really kind of out there with tech. But his daughters were not interested. We bonded over how to get more women in tech from like the high school and up. And today he's one of my greatest, uh, biggest mentors. is always there, um, helped really change the dynamics at the company in general with, with women um, uh, rising up to the top. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you literally, s- that's a lesson again, back to what Sona said. Sometimes you just go ask, right? I mean, it looks like it's really hard to talk to people. But if you have something really important or... Um, you know, really some, something you want to change, just go and uh, ask for it um, and, and it will happen. And in terms of role model, it sounds super cliche, but like I, I have to give a shout out to my mom. So I grew up in India and um, we are three girls and I grew up all my life at people asking, so you don't have a brother? Oh, I'm so sorry for you, poor thing. And um, you know, my, my mom just fought for uh, me to go to like an English um, school um, and not a local language school really like, just let us follow our dreams. Let me go abroad when I was in 10th grade, which was unheard of in our community. So um, she really just pushed us to do all three of us, my sisters and me to always go out and do more in a society that really just questioned every time, like, why you just got to get them married off? Like, why are you educating your daughter? So I do have to give a shout out. She's my true hero. And she did not even finish 10th grade. So that was pretty cool for me.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think my mom too, my mom has her own startup. And so I think, um, watching her like grow her business and her startup is not even in the space that she was like kind of educated in. She comes from a very like large finance background. Um, now she has a kid's uh, ed tech startup. Um, and so I think just watching her and watching her kind of grow this company and seeing how that's been, has been like super inspirational. Um, and just seeing how she like doesn't even come from the sa- like the typical background and has been able to do that. Um, is just something that inspires me like all the time.
0: I wanted to ask you all about, you know, the people talk about the pipeline and getting more women and girls into the tech pipeline, and yeah, I've heard companies, Lassie and the other day was at a tech conference, and their um, one of their executives said, well, we just can't find the, the women engineers. We'd love to hire them. We can't find them. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can give you a list of like a hundred. If you go to Grace Hopper, you can find like thousands. So just, you're not looking hard enough. But um, there's the pipeline and there's the retention, right? Keeping, Keeping girls and women interested. So I wanted to ask you about retention and what is causing... Um, first of all, girls drop out of technology and computer science when they go from high school to college because 28% of AP exam takers are women. And then we get to college and only 18% of computer science majors are women. So there's a big drop off there. And then in the career world, we do have about 20% of are, uh, are women. So there's this you know, drop off along each way. And then we see the numbers of women dropping out of the workforce. So you know, is it what's causing this? Is it a toxic culture? Is it lack of other women around them in the community? And then how do we, how do we fix this problem?
1: The words that come to mind are free time. And why I'm saying that is because the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is a little bit of that catch up process. Like when you're hiring an engineer, you want someone who's coding all the time in their free time. Okay. And then you just have to work backwards to high school and to middle school. And then also in the workforce today, women in their twenties, women in their thirties, like there's a consistent free time factor that's different throughout each age group that is at the core of all these problems. First of all, I think we're changing that a lot in K-12 education today. We're seeing a lot more women who are coding in their free time inspired by cool classes that are getting offered. So I think we're gonna see a new swell. Um, But that has to continue after age 23, 24. You have to keep coding in your free time. You sometimes can't go out. (laughs) You have to keep up because the top competitive engineers are coding all the time. That's just the reality. It doesn't seem
0: very healthy from a work-life balance perspective. I mean, shouldn't, don't, I mean, shouldn't the big tech, tech companies want people who have different interests, who like to hike or play tennis or ride dirt bikes or whatever, like something other than, I mean, but what you're saying is valid. I think there there's such incredible talent, especially here in the Bay Area, that it's super competitive.
2: Yeah, I think for me also for, um, so, uh, you know, when I helped run this uh, Technovation Challenge Program for, uh, for high school girls, it was fascinating for me um, that peer pressure played such a big role. So a lot of the girls in the first year of the program were um, brought in by their parents to be part of the program, and they didn't want to be there. And I kept asking them, why not? You get to work at Google you know, all summer, and you get to program and write Android apps. And they were like, but boys think it's not cool, and we're looked upon as nerds. And that to me was shocking because um, coming from India, the smarter you are, the cooler you are. So I'm like, wait, but that doesn't make sense. Um, So I think the peer pressure really plays a very big role in just dropping off and not wanting to do tech because it's not considered cool.
1: Also, parents don't like their daughters to stay inside as much as their sons. In, In a lot of cultures, they're like, you can't sit in the basement. You have to go make friends. You have to be social. Young women have a much stronger push social imperative from their parents I just wanted to.
2: Yeah. And then I also think it's a confidence uh, problem throughout, right? From school all the way to professional uh, life. When I mean, you look at all the data and stats and I help women negotiate all the time, it's just fascinating to be that women will always undersell themselves for the same job, right? Like they have the same qualification as a as a man and the man will be like nailed it and the woman will be like oh I don't know if I did what? Well. I don't know if I'm going to get that job. And actually, they probably did way better than the guy, but he just exudes so much more confidence that um, you know they probably will end up getting the job. So I think a co- confidence is really a big thing, and I wish somehow we started working on that a bit more. I mean, women have so much to offer, um, you know, in in terms of not just coding skills, but also negotiating at the workplace, managing teams. There's just so much uh, women can bring, and I wish they would like just. Bring that to the top and be more confident. Um, and then, lastly, I think there's enough talked about this with Sheryl Sandberg, like lean in. Um, but I really do feel that um, women, y- you know, by by default, this is kind of part of our culture where mansplaining is a true thing. I mean, there are so many times I've been sitting in meetings and I say something, I pre- present, uh, you know, a thought and uh, literally my boss will say the exact same thing and then the super boss will be like yeah what he said and I'm like dude I just said the same thing Hmm. uh but it's not acknowledged just because maybe because of the way we say it I'm not sure but um I really feel like women have to own it and say like don't don't just take it lying down just give it back and say yeah but that's exactly what I just said like you know I came up with that same idea. So I think it's time like women just own who they are and just rise up in the workplace, right? Like I really feel we just have to change it. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to students because I feel like you guys, you can change this. I think like the older generation is already like, it's so systemic, but like, I think you know you guys can really change the way, way women are represented in the workforce, so yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think at Berkeley, I've talked about this a bit with the GPA cap. Um, I think a lot of the times that like, women who aren't like brought in um, don't come in with the like CS background have a really hard time getting into the major and like even taking the classes because the classes are really hard to get into if you're not um, like actually in the major um, which is just like another issue for the school Um, but like even in my CS classes like I like there are a lot of times I don't even notice but like until someone points it out where I am like one of two girls in the class um, or like you know I'm sitting like I'm also on course staff so I teach one of the CS courses and like there are times where I like look at my section and like it's all male Um, and I I don't think I've personally like had any issues with that Um, like I just think it's something that sometimes I just notice and I'm just used to at this point Um, but there are a lot of initiatives on campus to like kind of change that which is really nice Um, there's like CS Kickstart which is like a program for freshmen like the week before they Uh, start Berkeley that's just like an intensive like boot camp for women Um, and it kind of like brings like a lot of like intended CS majors together and like gives them like a study group so they can like you know for the next year and a half while they're trying to get into this major like study together and go through the classes together which is nice Um, there's also other programs like femtech um, that offer like you know like older um, upperclassmen um, women in CS will hold like tutoring sessions Um, so they have like midterm review sessions or like weekly sessions Um, So I think there's like a lot of support coming up, which is good, Um, and I think those type of initiatives are like really beneficial for um, incoming women wanting to pursue this.
0: Yeah, and I love what Harvey Mudd College did with um, their freshmen. They they created two tracks: the the gold track and the black track. So if you've had prior CS experience in high school, you go into the black track. I think it's the black track, and if you haven't, then you go into the gold track and um, they've actually been able to increase the number of women graduating with cs degrees by like 120 percent. so they have like i think it's almost half of their computer science uh, degrees are handed out to women at harvey my college because of this program and other things they also have pass no credit in the first first semester so you have you can t- have a taste of computer science in the difficult classes without having to worry about getting an A or a B in the class. So, I mean, there are definitely ways of doing it. I know Cal had the uh, changed the name of their intro class from whatever the technical term was to the, the beauty and joy of computing and got a lot more women involved that way. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for joining us, Allie, Donna, and Sona. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for joining the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast content. To learn more about us, go to nasdaqcenter.lehigh.edu or follow us on Instagram at center. Thank you.